Hey everyone, my name is Alex Rosa. I'm the Family Life Pastor at New Life, and I'm really excited to be with you today to continue our series about the book of Galatians. What we're calling it is New Beginnings, Freedom, and Fruit, because we believe that this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia can produce freedom in our lives and good fruit that will affect not only us, but everyone around us, and ultimately can affect eternity. It's really cool to look at this letter that was written to a church 2,000 years ago and know that the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul directly to these people in Galatia, but through the Holy Spirit, the letter also can apply to all. Our lives. And so we've been taking it verse by verse, step by step, looking at this letter and seeing what is God trying to say through it and how does it apply to our lives. Last week, Pastor Chris did just an incredible job kicking us, well, not kicking us off, continuing our series, but kicking off this kind of two-week mini-series talking about celebration. You see, last week we talked about Abraham, and we're going to continue that theme today. We talked about the promise that Abraham received 4,000 years ago that we get to celebrate today. And so Paul first started to talk about that in the first half of Galatians chapter 3. Not only did we get to celebrate Abraham and a promise from 4,000 years ago, but last week, Pastor Chris also celebrated 20 years of new life being in existence, which is really cool. God has done some incredible things over these last two decades, and I'm just really excited to see what God's going to do in the next two decades and beyond. We also got to celebrate fireworks in July 4th in our country, and it was just really cool to be together just to celebrate. And I'm glad that we're together right now, and we can continue that theme of celebrating. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to take that promise to Abraham. We're going to kind of expound on it a little bit more, and we're going to talk about this specific thing. And this is our take-home point. It's the one point that this message is all about today, and it says, God's promises never fail. Now, when we're talking about celebration, I know that on its surface, God's promises never fail might not seem like something that you'd get a sparkler in your lawn chair out for. However, this idea that promises never fail is hard to us as humans. I mean, we're broken people living in a fallen world. And as much as we want to be men or women of our word, we want to keep our pinky promises, we don't always do that. And people don't always keep their words or their promises to us either. It's just hard. Sometimes it's a malicious intent, but sometimes it's just we double booked. I mean, that happened to me today, literally in a conversation with my wife. I told her she can do something on Sunday night when we were supposed to have our our basketball small group that I was supposed to have a basketball small group, but I completely forgot about it. And then I said, oh, actually, uh, I have something that night. I'm so sorry. I broke my, my word in that moment. I didn't want to, but sometimes we double book. Sometimes we put other things ahead. Sometimes we just forget, but God doesn't. He never does. He is truth. He is honest. He always is true. And he always keeps his promises. And so we're going to celebrate that today. But before we talk about that a little bit more, why don't we pray? Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being with us right now. I thank you for being a God who is always good, who is always true. Pray that right now that you will speak through me into our hearts. Allow us to be both encouraged and challenged today. Allow us to be drawn into your presence and and be more capable of serving your purpose and being partnered with your plan throughout this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most 
I think hurtful times in my life when it comes to someone breaking a promise to me happened when I was in my first year of college. Well, I guess technically my summer between my first year and second year of college, but that's just semantics, doesn't really matter. In this story, so I was uh, dating my first ever girlfriend and that happened in college, which I know people get girlfriends in like fifth grade nowadays. And, but you, you take like my dorkiness and my fear of commitment and my desire to only date one person. That was like my heart. I was like, I'm going to date one person and we're going to get married. And it's going to be this amazing fairy tale, this Hollywood story. It's going to be incredible. We're just going to, we're going to make it happen. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be maybe in love and it'll be amazing. So I waited, I waited for that perfect person and then I found them or so I thought in college. But then she told me she had a boyfriend. So I went to her friend and I thought, maybe, maybe me and you, we're going we're gonna to be it. Like, this is going to be the relationship. And she said no. And then I went to her friend and she eventually, after I asked a couple times, said yes. And so we started dating. And it, again, it wasn't the, the start of a fairy tale. It wasn't the start of a romantic movie. It wasn't... Uh, the very romantic in the beginning at all, or maybe even during it. Our relationship wasn't great. Okay, let's just, let's just, this is my first girlfriend. We did not do a good job. I was really terrified of being in a relationship, so much so that too much, too often, I would tell her how anxious I was that the relationship would end. I would tell her my ideas of, I'm hoping that we get married someday. I would tell her at some point that I believe we're going to get married. I believe that we're in love and we're going to do it. And she would affirm that. She'd say, yeah, we we do love each other. Yeah, we are going to get married. I want that too. I don't want to hurt you. And then she would write me letters to to keep my anxiety down. She'd say things in the letters like, I will always love you. I'll never hurt you. And I remember telling her at different points, like, I'm so scared that you'll leave me someday. I'm so scared that you'll leave me for someone else because that'll make me feel less than that, that you'll cheat on me. And she was like, oh, no. I will, I will never hurt you. Well, a couple months later, uh, we were in our third or fourth month dating. Maybe three months, doesn't matter. We were dating, and I was with my friends one night. I had hung out with her in the morning and throughout the day, but then at night I was playing Dungeons & Dragons with some of my friends, which was pretty cool. I think Pastor Mark was there. I know my, my, my old youth pastor, Pastor Jamie, was there. I think my friend Hunter was there, and we were playing, and I get a phone call, and I was like, oh, that's my girlfriend. I'm going to go take it upstairs. So I went up to my bedroom, and I was like, hey, what's going on? Are you just calling to say goodnight? I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons, so I want to kind of get back down there, but we'll talk right now. And in this conversation, she said, she was very serious. She was like, hey, Alex, I want to give you a compliment sandwich. Now, this was the weirdest like breakup ever, probably because that was how it started. And in my mind, I didn't know what a compliment sandwich was. So I was like, well, I like compliments. I like sandwiches. So let's, let's have at it. And she said, first of all, the first part of the sandwich, like the bun, which is a compliment, and then in the middle was something negative, but I didn't know that was coming. So the first part, she was like, hey, Alex, you're great. I, I think you're going to you're a great boyfriend. You're going to make a great husband someday. I really, I really like that about you. And I was like, oh, wow, that's very nice. And then she said, but that you were going to make someone else happy because we're breaking up. However, I really have had a lot of fun dating you, and I'm glad that we went through this experience. And I remember I was shocked and mad all at the same time. I thought we were going to last forever, so this didn't even compute. I remember hanging up real quick, running outside into an intersection, which is not safe, screaming at the top of my lungs, an expletive that I won't repeat now. And then my friends came out and like, what's happening? I said, we broke up. So I called her back, and I found out that she had been trying to give me hints all morning, and I just wasn't picking up on it, which is pretty normal. I, I, I think I'm kind of thick-skinned sometimes. She was trying to hint that we were going to break up. She was like, you know what? Maybe we won't get married someday. Maybe we could marry other people someday. And I was like, yeah, that sounds funny, uh, and we're not going to do that. And then eventually she told me it was because she had cheated on me with 
her old boyfriend. And I remember having this moment that's very reminiscent of if you've ever seen The Office and Michael Scott. I said, you cheated on me when I specifically asked you not to? And I was hurt. Like, I was just damaged goods from then for a while until God healed my heart. I was so scared to get into another relationship because I kept looking back at this promise that was broken to me. And it affected my life for a long time. Now, it's not fun to be on that end, but it's also not fun to break a promise to someone. Something that happened recently, and it might sound small, but it did affect me because, again, as people, we generally consider ourselves good people. We don't want to break promises to other people. Most of the time, that's not our intention. I remember I was with my son Ezra, and we were coloring. Well, he was coloring. I was on my phone doing something important like playing the game cribbage on my phone or something, and Ezra said, Daddy, can you draw with me? And I said, yes. Now, what I meant was, yeah, I can, just in a second, like, let me finish what I'm doing. It's very important here. And instead, I just said yes. And so a couple beats went by, and Ezra said, Daddy, why do you always say you're going to do something, but then you don't do it? And I remember being crushed. I like, threw my phone. I got the crayon. I drew my favorite bird that, that I like to draw on there. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Ezra. I'm not going to do that again. Because that's an idea that I don't want to be about, like to, to my son to have about me. I don't want to be considered someone that says one thing and does another. That's not who I want to be. But as a human, I do fall. I do fail. And I know that when I do that, it hurts me and it hurts other people too. Maybe you can relate to the first story more. Or maybe the second story. There's an instance right now in your mind. You're thinking, I broke a promise to someone and they broke it to me. And it brings up this idea of how human we are. But this is just the idea of why we're celebrating today. Because it's so wonderful that God never forgets his promises. We can celebrate this idea because it's so wonderful. God never breaks his promises. He doesn't lie. He doesn't falter. He doesn't forget. That's who we serve. That's who we're worshiping, a God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That God never reneges on his promises. He is always true. And this is the main focus of what Paul was talking to the church in Galatia about. This is what he wants to get in their minds and really to get into our minds today, that our God is a God of promises and that he never breaks those promises. So he starts in Galatians 3.15 and he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scriptures doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. I like this portion of the letter because it's a shift in tone. Paul was talking in the first couple chapters of this book as if a parent scolding his children. He's talking to them as if people were doing something wrong, and they were, but he shifts his tone in this moment to talk to them as a brother, saying, brothers and sisters, I'm talking to you in love. Let me give you this example to encourage you in this way. And so he talks about Abraham, who everyone would have known about at the time, whether they were Jewish or a Gentile, meaning someone that wasn't a Jew. If you were one of those two categories of people, you would have heard about Abraham 2,000 years beforehand. And you might even know about the agreement that happened between God and Abraham. And that's why Paul talks about this irrevocable agreement. He was talking about a ritual, 
a ritual to make an oath with someone else that would have happened back then. You see, in this ritual, what you would do is you would take animals. You'd cut them in half. You'd separate the animals. You'd walk through them. There'd be blood all around, and you'd make an agreement, and you would not break that agreement unless you wanted the law to come down on you really, really hard. So that was like considered in a, like that was something that was not going to be broken. And it kind of sounds disgusting, but it's, it's what they did. Now, Abraham and God had a similar ritual that occurred when God made the promise to Abraham that his descendants would never die out, that they would last forever. See, Abraham would go and he would take a heifer and a goat and a ram, and a pigeon, and a dove, and he'd cut them all down the middle, except the pigeon and the dove, which I don't know why, but I do like birds, so I'm in support of not killing them. And so he takes the three, and he cuts them in half, and then there's like a, a walkway, a pathway in between the, the pieces of animals. And then God's word actually says that Abraham falls asleep, but then God appears. He appears in the form of a smoking fire pot and a burning torch, and he goes in between the pieces of animals, and he makes then a covenant with Abraham, saying that his descendants will never die out, and that his promise, he will keep his promise forever. And so Abraham then goes, and he, he, he talks to his wife about this. And the funny thing about this, this agreement that God's making about how his descendants would last forever is that Abraham in this moment is 100, and he doesn't have any kids. He's 100 and doesn't have kids, and God's saying, your descendants will last forever. Now, if he was 25, Abraham might have been like, oh, that's pretty cool. But 100, you really have to have faith to say, all right, God's going to be true. So when Sarah finds out that she's going to have a kid, she laughs because she's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then they end up having a kid. God miraculously got um, this to happen, and they had a son named Isaac, which just translates into laughter because Sarah was laughing at the time when she found out that she was going to have a baby. So not only did God fulfill this promise to have a child, but eventually 2,000 years later from this line of Abraham and then Isaac would come Jesus. But before all of that happens, we get to see Abraham. And at first, I'm sure we don't have this recorded, but I'm sure it's hard, right? Like he's 100 years old and he's raising a newborn. Him and Sarah together are raising a newborn. That can't be easy. I'm 33, raising a newborn and a three-year-old. And it is, it is not easy. It's exhausting. So I'm sure they are exhausted in this moment. But a couple years later, it becomes even more difficult because God asked Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac when Isaac was a little bit older. So Abraham says, okay. He takes Isaac, and they walk up a mountain. When they get up to the top of this mountain, Abraham lays down some wood, and then he lays Isaac on top of the altar, and he gets his knife to make the sacrifice. And when he's about to do it, God stops him, and he provides a ram. And he says this, and it's recorded in the book of Genesis. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. How amazing. God shows his faithfulness. He doesn't force Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And instead, what he was doing was he was building up 
Abraham's faith. Now, unfortunately, we don't get like the communication that happens between Isaac and Abraham over the next couple of days as they descend a mountain and as they go talk to Abraham's wife, Sarah. You don't hear the awkward conversations of Abraham saying like, Isaac, clean up after dinner. And Isaac going, what are you going to do, dad? Sacrifice me again. Because I know that's happening, right? Like we, without even having that, we know that that's not going to be let to die because something like that big happens. I mean, even a little thing. One time I was at the science center with Ezra when he was one years old and we put him on like the kid potty on top of the normal potty and the kid potty wasn't secured, my bad. And he slipped in and I caught him before he completely ducked into the water, but his butt got a little wet. And after that, every time, every time we go to a potty that is in public, Ezra says, dad, do you remember when you dropped me into the potty? at the science center. And I'm like, come on, just let that go. Nothing happened. So you can remember Sarah being like, Abraham, what did you do? And, and I, Abraham being like, nothing happened. He's fine. Look at him. He's okay. And so unfortunately, we don't get to see that. But we do get to see the foreshadowing. Because not only did God allow Jesus to come through the line of Abraham, but in this moment with Abraham, asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, he was foreshadowing how Jesus would fulfill this promise. Because it wasn't like Jesus was going to go and have a bunch of kids. What was going to happen is Jesus was going to die on the cross. And then if we give our lives over to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become a part of God's family. We become children of God. So therefore, we are continuing the line of Abraham. We are children of the promise of Abraham if we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But through this story, we're learning how difficult it must have been to sacrifice God's own son. Years ago, Matt Bartlett, who is now our youth director, he spoke at youth group for the first time a couple summers ago. And in his message, he talked about this idea. And he has a son, and in that moment when he was talking about his son, he told the students and the leaders, he said, as much as I like you guys and I love you, I would not give up my son for any of you. And I felt that. I have a son, now I have two sons, and I would not give, as much as I love you, as much as I, I, I like all of you that are listening, I love all of you that are listening, I wouldn't give my sons up for either of you, even for myself to live, because I love my sons that much. But God did that. He gave his only son up for you and me so that we can have everlasting life, so we can be part of his family. See, God sacrificed his son for you and me to fulfill his promise to bring salvation to the world. So in this letter, Paul's talking about Abraham and this promise. And he illustrates that and talks about how when, when God promised Abraham, it wasn't just his kids, but it was the descendant Jesus who would bring about this, the, the fulfillment of the promise. But after he talks about Abraham, he fast forwards it a couple hundred years and talks about a guy named Moses and how God's people were enslaved. He says this starting in verse 17. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement made with Abraham cannot be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. You see, Paul was talking about how God initially gave this to Abraham and then God's people would go and be enslaved. But God didn't forget his people. 
He didn't let them die out. He sent Moses to free them from slavery because he was going to fulfill his promise one way or another. It was going to happen. He was not going to let them die out in slavery. And then after Moses lived, there was a man named Joshua who'd succeed him in leadership. And Joshua would say this. Oh, actually, let's read this about Exodus first. It's from the book of Exodus. It's about them leaving. It says, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembered his promise when they were screaming out to him, saying, free us from slavery. And then Joshua would say this, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. You see, when the people were freed from slavery, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And when that happened, they sinned a lot. They turned from God, they, they complained, they made golden calves and they worshiped them. And even despite their sin, God still kept his promise. Eventually he'd make them into a nation. We made them into a nation, their capital was Jerusalem. And in the city of Jerusalem, they would continue to sin. So eventually God sent another nation to overtake them and the people of God were now in exile God didn't forget his people when they were in exile. The prophet Jeremiah would talk about how God still had a plan for his people. He said this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. They were in slavery, or they were in exile rather, for 70 years, but God didn't forget his people. Even there's a time when a plot came against God's people, the Jewish people. Someone was going to go and kill all the Jewish people, but he rose up a leader. Her name was Queen Esther. And through his plan and through his providence, he allowed the people to survive. And this is because God's promises never fail. It never happens. No matter what the world throws at God's people, he continued to sustain them because he knew he was going to fulfill this promise someday. God is always true. He didn't forget his people and he won't forget us now. The letter would continue talking about Moses and it's going to reference how Moses received the Ten Commandments and the law. And it says this in Galatians 3, 19 through 22. And this is the last portion of Galatians we're going to read today. It says, why then was the law given? And that the law, again, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that God gave. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Remember, he alone went through the middle of those animals as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, he would be, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So Paul, he was talking about this law and how the Jewish people had listened to it for a very long time because God gave it to them to listen to. But he said the law was really only given to us for two reasons. The first reason was to point to our sin. It was to shed a light on the problem of humanity. It was to shed a light on what separates us from God. And it was also to shed a light on how we're not enough on our own. 
that we can try and try and try, but we're going to fall whether we want to or not. The same thing with promises. We're going to try to keep our promises, but ultimately we're going to mess up because we're fallen people in a broken world. We're broken people in a fallen world. Either way, it's true. And so he was saying, Paul was saying that the commandments were just put there. The law was put there to point to our sin. But also the second thing was to point to Jesus. The only appropriate payment for our sin, the only thing that could wash us clean, the only thing that could make up for the fact that we can't fill, fulfill all the promises that, that we want to make with God, we can't fulfill all the commandments that God has for us, is Jesus, is a perfect sacrifice. And so the only way that we can become children of God is not by our own merit, but it's by believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's what Pastor Chris was talking about last week in his message. That the people, the Jewish people were saying, okay, well, it's, it's Jesus plus all these laws, right? That's what makes us holy. And the answer is, is it's Jesus plus nothing else makes us a part of God's family. It makes us holy. It gives us forgiveness. And through Jesus, God fulfilled his promise that he made 2,000 years earlier. He made it to Abraham, but he made it for us. And he never broke it. He never reneged on it because God is good and he's a God of all promises and he keeps all of them. The writer in the book of Hebrews would say it this way, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And then in the book of Numbers, this would have been years earlier, it says this, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? God's promises never fail. He never forgot his people and he's never forgotten you either. He created you, he made you, he designed you for a purpose and a plan and he sent Jesus down the cross for you before you were born. While we were still called enemies of God, he did that because he hasn't forgotten us. That writer to the, uh, in, in the book of Hebrews would say this, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Take hope in that. Take comfort in that. God says he will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. No matter how many times we fall down, how many times we fail, God is always good. No, God's word doesn't only just have one promise that God was faithful to. God's word has a lot of other promises. I, I've actually accumulated some of them for you right here. Not all of them, but some of them. And what I'd encourage you to do right now as we read through them is either to go in the notes section and to take a screenshot or to copy them and paste them in a Word document and keep them. Or you can just take a screenshot as they show up right now as we talk about them. I'm not gonna read through all the references in God's scriptures where the promises are made, but I wanna encourage you to do that. Maybe even take one promise every day over the next several days and look at them. I believe if you do that, you will, you will gain hope and you'll gain comfort in God and the promises that he has for us. But let us go through some of the promises that God gives us. The first one is in the book of Isaiah and it says, God knows your name. He knows us. He knows you and me. He knows all about us and he loves us. In the book of Psalms, in the book of Luke, it says, God has known you from the very beginning. In Joshua and in Matthew, it says, God is always with you wherever you go. In the book of Exodus, in the book of Deuteronomy, it will say that God, it did say rather, that God will fight for you. 
in that book of Exodus, it says all we got to do is be still because God's going to fight for us. In the book of Psalms, it refers to God as our refuge, our fortress, and our strong tower. God promises that we can run to him for safety when things get tough. In Jeremiah and in the book of Psalms, it says God has a perfect plan for you. In the book of Galatians, it says that God gives us freedom, which is all about this series, right? Where the series is all about freedom. In the book of Isaiah, Psalms, and 1 Corinthians, it says God gives you perfect peace. How wonderful in a day and age where a lot of us struggle with anxiety. God gives us perfect peace. The book of Isaiah, it says God provides everlasting strength to be able to bear any burden that, God, that the world brings our way. God will give us that strength. God will dwell in you, his promise to us in the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Acts. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it says God is holy. In the book of Numbers, in the book of Psalms, it says God is slow to anger and abounding in love. In 2 Samuel and in the book of Luke, it says that God pursues us. He preserves you. In 2 Chronicles, Jeremiah, and in Matthew, and in Luke, and in Psalms, and I'm sure in other verses in God's word, it says that God offers forgiveness to you. In the book of John, in the book of Acts, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will be with us. And then in a ton of places, including the Psalms and Zephaniah, John and Romans, says that God loves you. And finally, and there's a ton of references there, but God keeps his promises. Everything that we just walk through, God keeps those promises. God does not falter. He does not waver. He does not forget. He does not lie. That is who God is. So the question then remains is what do we do with it? Here at New Life, we like to give information, but we don't just leave it there. We want it to have application so it can lead to transformation in our lives. So what do we do with these promises? Well, I think the first thing we can do is we must remind ourselves of God's promises. When life is hard, we can remember that God gives us peace. When we fall to temptation and sin overtakes us, we can remind ourselves that God offers forgiveness When life is saying, go this way, and the world is saying, yeah, that's the right way, we can go to God and know that he has a perfect plan for our lives. And as we go through life, whatever it is, whether it's hardships, whether it's good things, we can look to these promises and be comforted and be given hope. Let's plaster them on our heart. Let's remind ourselves that God did not abandon his people, and he won't abandon us either. If we give our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, all of these promises are for us forever. Let's not forget his promises. Let's not go wayward and just think of ourselves because when we forget God's promises, we become fearful, reliant on the world, or obsessed with solving our own problems. When we forget about those promises, we, we think in our own minds that we are enough or we start to struggle with that idea that are we enough. But when we remind ourselves about who God is, we can face anything that comes our way because the world is scary, but God is more powerful The world is strong, but God is much stronger. So let's rely on him. And as much as we need to remind ourselves of what God promised, let's also remind ourselves what God did not promise. You see, God never promised it would be safe or easy. That's the second thing we can take away from this. We can take away this this idea we need to remind ourselves, but we also got to remind ourselves of what God did not promise. He does promise to give us strength and he gives us peace, 
But he gives us that because he knows that life is going to be challenging. He knows that life is going to be hard. He doesn't hide that from us. He doesn't say, okay, believe in me as Lord and Savior, and I promise everything will be easy on this world, and it's going to be fine. But no, he promises that he's going to give us strength. He's going to give us a refuge. He's going to help us out during the times of struggle because there's going to be difficulty. It reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've ever read them, but C.S. Lewis wrote them in their children's books, but they have a, a lot to say about Jesus, and Jesus represents in the book as a lion, and his name is Aslan. And in the first book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Susan would say to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, she was asking about Aslan, and she said, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver responded this way, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I mean, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. One time I was prayer walking with Pastor Kristen, Pastor Barry, and some other people, and we, we were about to walk, and we were praying, and a couple of us around the circle prayed for safety, and when it got around to Kristen Barry, they prayed for boldness, and I said, why are you praying for boldness and not just for, for safety? And Chris said, well, if we're following the plan that God has for us, it's not always going to be safe. There's going to be dangers ahead if we're really going to be about telling other people about Jesus. And that's what God's called us to do, to share this promise with other people. That's the other thing that we got to do. We got to remind ourselves about his promises and what he doesn't promise. But we also need to tell other people about the promises that God has for us. And if we're going to do that, we have to understand that it's not always going to be safe. But we have a God that's going to look after us during those times. And he's going to give us strength to bear whatever comes our way. Jesus would even talk to his disciples and say this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He says in there the promise of peace, but he also says you will have trials on earth. He doesn't say you might. He says you will have trials, but take heart. The victory is already belonging to Jesus. He would also say this to his disciples in Luke 14, 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Carrying a cross isn't an easy thing, but that's why we get promised peace and strength and a perfect plan for our lives. Because God says if we're gonna follow him, it's gonna be hard sometimes. But take heart because he has overcome the world. Take heart because he is a God of promises that everything that he said is still true even when it's difficult and it sometimes will be difficult. But sometimes what we do is we let ourselves off the hook when it gets difficult. We say, I can't do that. My time, I'm just so busy. I, I, I can't commit to, to that thing because I, and I know people might need my help, but I also, I'm just busy. I'm looking out for myself. And I get in that mindset too. I started thinking about those things, but okay, it, it's a cost. It's a sacrifice to serve God. And is it, is it worth it? And the truth is it's always worth it if someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And sometimes when I get in that mindset, I'm thinking of me, my, I, and all the things that I have to do. I remember, okay, well, Abraham was called to raise a newborn at 100, and then he was asked to sacrifice that kid. And he had just been asked to go wander around without a plan and a purpose. So what I'm being asked to do might not be that bad. Let's remember this. God didn't promise we'd be comfortable or get to do what's convenient, but God does promise he'll give us strength to bear our cross. He doesn't promise we'd be comfortable or do what's convenient. We would love that, right? I love my comfort. I love convenience. I love when things are efficient and everything makes sense, but God doesn't promise that. 
but he does promise that he will always be with us. And his promises are always sure, that he will always dwell with us, that he won't leave our side. And so as we go out this week and hard times come, and they will come, that's what Jesus said. When they do come, let us remind ourselves of the promises that God has for us. And then let's go and tell other people their promises that God has for them as well. Let us remind ourselves that one of these promises that God hasn't forgotten us, that he loves us and he wants to be active in our lives. He is active in our lives when we want to partner with what he's doing. And so we got to tell people, yeah, it might be difficult, might not be convenient, but let's go tell people about the promises of God. And if you want to do that this week, I believe we can do that in our next step, which says this, this week I remind myself and someone else that God hasn't forgotten them. Let's remind ourselves and other people. Let's tell people about the good promises that God has because they're promises of everlasting life, promises of being in God's family. The promise that he had to Abraham 4,000 years ago is still reigning true today. If you're in here and you're saying, I don't have that relationship, I wanna be a part of these promises. I want God to be with me. I want the everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful God to bring me peace and refuge and strength. Well, all you have to do, we say here at New Life, all you have to do is follow these steps, A, B, and C. A is admit. We admit that we're sinners, that we're fallen people, that we need a savior. We admit that we believe in God too, and that's B, believe in God as the one and only God. Believe in Jesus as Lord, meaning owner, and savior, meaning rescuer from sin and death. And C, we confess our sins. We ask God to forgive them, and we confess our need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right now, we're going to have an opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're in here right now, if you're listening, and you don't have that relationship, I want to encourage you to make this commitment right now. Those promises are too good to miss out on. Yeah, there's difficulties, but life is so much more difficult without God on our side. Let's think of our eternity, our eternal lives. And if we want to have an eternal relationship with God, we want to be his children, we want to go into heaven. We're going to be with him on this earth and after this earth. Let's ask Jesus to be with us. So right now I'm going to pray and encourage you to pray the words that I say, but in your own heart, in your own words, your own mind. If you already know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to pray for those that don't know Jesus that are listening to this. I encourage you to, to pray for them to give their life over to Jesus. But right now, Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for making your promise true, the promise that you had to Abraham a long time ago. Right now, I pray that anyone that is listening that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior would say this prayer with me right now. Dear God, I believe you are the one true God. I admit that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord, my owner, and rescue me from sin and death, accepting me into your family forever. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we go out into the world this week, let us hold firm to these promises. Let us remind ourselves of them every day as life tries to throw things at us. Let's remind ourselves that God is always good, that he's always true. He does not falter. He did not forget his people and he does not forget you. Let us live with the joy and the peace that comes from knowing who our God is. And when troubles hits, let's remember that God is gonna hit back harder because he is more powerful than the world. 
Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Thank you so much for watching. We encourage you to, to continue watching all summer long as we continue our series, Galatians, Freedom and Fruit. And we'll see you soon.